We're on uh, a sermon series, I guess you would call it, uh, called On Mission. It started in Vision Sunday, where we've been talking over the past three weeks about what it looks like to live on mission. And I believe it is a prophetic word for, for us as a church, uh, for you as an individual, for us as, as a church family. It's a prophetic statement for us this year. Um, but, and what I want to talk about today is essentially I've called it a supernatural mission because a lot of times when we think of like living on mission, we can think of like, okay, I got to get stuff done. I got to look alive. I got to get busy. I got to do something, that kind of thing. Um, And while that may be true, I feel like the Spirit of God is really wanting to remind us this morning that you are a co-laborer with the Holy Spirit on mission. Um, What I mean by that is that God's mission for you, God's mission for us, is always a supernatural mission. Um, as a kid, I, I grew up loving everything supernatural. Uh, I, I was a huge Superman fan. I know he's not that big anymore, but listen, back in the 80s, he was it, right? That's all we had. So like, I, I love Superman, Star Wars, anything that was like supernatural. I used to like run around my house in a cape slash a towel, um, hoping that maybe one day I would just leap and, and maybe take off, find that I had like a gift of some sort, like that I was a superhero on some level. Um, and what I grew up in the church in kind of a conservative denomination, and um, I was never impressed with church uh, as a kid looking to be a superhero. Um, there was this like mystery, this liturgy, stained glass, but no power, like it held no allure to me as, as a kid um, interested in the supernatural. Um, and then I encountered Jesus the summer before my eighth grade year or my ninth grade year. And, um, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I start reading my Bible and I am literally like blown away. I, I very distinctly remember starting to read my Bible for the first time. Like I'd had people read the Bible to me. I'd been in church where they read readings and all of those different types of things. The first time I started reading the Bible, I was blown away. Not only what the things that Jesus did, because he's like the son of God, right? Like he should be a superhero. What I was amazed by more significantly are the things that his followers did. Because these were just regular people. Like these guys were, well, the Bible says that they were given power from on high. And they did the things that Jesus did, which blew my mind as a young Christian. Um, one time, let me show you, one time Jesus sent out his followers in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. And he says this to his followers. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he says this in verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, um, they were commanded to do things that no human can accomplish. Did you notice that? I don't know. Maybe you're good at raising the dead. But like me, I struggle at times with that. Like... Um, he's like, these were his commands to his followers. He's like, bring heaven to earth. To which I'm like, is there like a rope? Like, how do I, how do do I pull? What does that even look? What does that even mean? And then he goes on, heal the sick. Okay, but I'm not a doctor really, but 
Raise the dead. I struggle at times. Uh, cleanse those who have leprosy. See, I was kind of hoping that I would stay away from that. Like, because I don't want to get it. So, like, they can clean themselves, right? Like, drive out demons, he says. This is the, the last thing he says. Drive out demons. Like, I think that all of those things that Jesus is commanding them to do are completely impossible for me to do without a miracle. Like, without the supernatural movement of the Holy Spirit on a regular, normal person, those things that Jesus commanded them to do is absolutely, not only preposterous, it's impossible for them to do. And yet he's like, go do it. They're like, uh, okay, we're gonna, oh, that's, that's, okay, that's what we're doing. Here's, here's the thing. This is what I've been struggling with all week, is that what if the real problem here is that we think that the rest of the Christian life is possible for us to do without a miracle? What if we think that like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I, can, I can't raise the dead, but like I can forgive people. I can't, I, I mean, I can, I can be generous. I can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. I can do these things. I can serve. I can, what if we as Christians think today that we can do things and live the Christian life without the movement of the Holy Spirit, without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and essentially without Him? Make no mistake, Christian. You are in utter need of the Holy Spirit. You are in utter need of the anointing of God to live the Christian life, to do just the, the simple things that you think are absolutely possible for you to do. God's like, actually, uh, <laughs> I know you think you're good, but you can't actually do the things that I'm asking you to do. And you think that like, like raising the dead, healing the sick is difficult. I'm telling you that like forgiving someone the thing that you don't want to do that they don't deserve is actually impossible for you to do without the move of the Holy Spirit in your life. And as a new Christian, I started reading my Bible and I started thinking this, do they have a different Holy Spirit than I do? Have you ever wondered this? Like, have you read through the book of Acts and felt like, I think I got like the JV squad of the Holy Spirit. Like these guys got the starters. I'm like fifth string, you know, like I don't know if I'm ever going to put in the game here. I, I don't understand what, what the world's going on here because they seem to have a different Holy Spirit than I do. It's kind of like this. Have you ever read a book that you loved and then they make it into a movie? Do you know? Yeah. You guys all know what you like You're a bookworm and then they make your, your book into a movie. You always hear the same thing. It really doesn't even matter who I'm talking to. They're like, oh my gosh, the book is so much better than the movie, right? Everybody says that. Nobody's like, oh yeah, the movie was so much better than the book. It's always the book. The book, I mean, they did a good job. They tried hard, but the book is so much better than the movie. And my question as a new Christian was this. When, when exactly did the church settle for the book being better than the movie? Like, was that the intent? that we would live vicariously through the lives of Paul and Peter and the apostles and the book of Acts and then just be like, man, let me tell you a story about what they did. Like, was, was that in the heart of God when he said, like, greater things you will do? <laughs> when, when was the point where when we settled, and I mean this in, in love, but for lesser things, Things like, like when did we choose to get satisfied 
with a light show and fog and stained glass and a kick and worship band or an okay sermon or a great children's program. When do we settle? When do we settle for like forgetting that like we are called, but you need his anointing. And linger for to be clothed with power from on high to set other people free. Like that's why he came. That's why he filled you. Um, when did we succumb to this demonic lullaby that would whisper in our ears, shh, just take a nap. Just go to sleep, you know? You're all good. You're all good. If anything, you're too good, right? I mean, have you seen the next door neighbors? I mean, you're, you're good. Don't get too radical with this whole Jesus thing. I mean, you're kind of going overboard here, right? Like, just be, be a good person. Pay your bills. Keep your mouth shut. Try not to get canceled. Go to church on Sundays. But don't let this belief thing, like, leak out into real life. I mean, you're a radical if you do that. And I want to remind you that Jesus said he will build his church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. That God will build his church, an unstoppable force full of flawed people, flawed followers, empowered by, filled by the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you, church, that every step, every breath you make, you are in utter need of the anointing of God in your life. The book doesn't have to be better than the movie. Like, what if, what if we stop short to just say, well, you know what, I have this, and I can read this, and I can live vicariously through other people, working, living, moving, on mission in the Holy Spirit, but that's not my calling. No, I would, I would disagree with you that I don't believe that it is in the heart of God that the book would be better than the movie, that God still desires to put his super on your natural. Turn with me to um, Exodus chapter 3. And before I get started into it too much, I just want to give you a heads up. At the end of service today, I'm going to be giving an opportunity to, to, for God to move in the miraculous. And just if you've got a healing need in any area of your life, at the end of service, I want to give you an opportunity to come forward. We're going to pray for you because I just believe that if we give opportunity for God to do what only he can do by just doing what we can do, then we'll see him move on our behalf. And so just allow that to start stirring on the inside of you as we, as we get into God's word. Exodus chapter three, um, I was reminded of Moses this week because Moses had a bit of a past. If, if you're not aware of this, sometimes you just know a little bit about Moses' life, but the reality is, is um, his people, the Israelites, were enslaved by the Egyptians. One day, Moses had had enough of it he saw one of his fellow Israelites getting beaten by a slave driver. He decides to take it on himself, and he murders a slave driver. If you didn't know that, he's, he's a murderer. Um, then he hides the, the body in the sand, which <laughs> doesn't really make him any better. Um, he's got a bit of a past. I mean, it's not good. That's not, never good to murder somebody. Um, Pharaoh finds out that he has murdered one of the slave drivers and hid the body. And now Pharaoh tries to, to kill him. Moses makes an escape and he runs into the wilderness, spends the next decades of his life hiding, trying to escape Pharaoh's grasp as a sheep herder in the wilderness of Midian. And this is the guy. This guy is 
the guy who God decides to show up to on a mountainside and in a burning bush. And, and the Bible says that God says to Moses, out of this burning bush, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard their cries. And so I have come down to rescue them from their slavery. These are the words of, of God. I've come down to rescue them from their slavery, which begs the question, what's the plan? Okay, you've come down in a bush. I don't really know what that's going to do, but it's, gonna, it's cool, I guess. It's weird, but it's cool. What's the plan? How are you going to do this? Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, we find out God's plan. He says to Moses, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I'm sorry? Like, I, I think that Moses probably had the same thought that you and I would have in this situation. I'd be like, um, me? Like, now? Go? Me? What do you I thought you just said, let me, let me rewind the tape here. You just said that you have come down and that you were going to free God's people from Egypt. And now you're saying that, like, what, what in the world do I have to do with this plan? And it's this reality that in every mission of God, he always seems to be looking for people who will partner with him, to co-labor with him in his mission. And he doesn't seem to notice how unprepared we are. And he doesn't even seem to care about your past because it's a pretty bad one. Like, he just kind of is like, hey, um, yeah, you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send I'm going to send you. In fact, it almost seems like he goes out of his way to call people who cannot do in their own strength what God is commanding them to do. Mm. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. This is what Moses says back to him. Moses says, who, 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 who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And that is a very valid question, to be honest with you. Moses is, look at, let's just give him a thumbnail sketch. Moses is an 80-year-old man, a wanted murderer, by the way, um, an unknown shepherd living in the wilderness. Oh, and I forgot to mention, he is also, abadi, 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 a bad stutterer. So he's not like this guy with a silver tongue where you're just like, man, this guy's awesome. He could just like, he could just woo anybody. He just gets up there and speaks and crowds follow. No, this guy's a wanted murderer with a stuttering problem. And God looks at him and he's like, perfect. Man, this is the guy. This is the one. My power is going to look great on his weakness. My super is going to look awesome on his natural. This is the guy. And so, so don't forget, Moses is like, well, who am I? And God says in verse 12, he answers his question. This is his answer. I will be with you. God seems to always do these kind of things where he doesn't actually answer questions, right? Like Moses asks a very specific question, like, who am I? It's about identity, like, who am I? And, and God's response to him has nothing to do with him. And I was thinking about this, like, what if in, especially even in our day, all the questioning, all of the, the searching for our identity and who we are, that the true answer to our question has much less to do with what we think about it and has everything to do with what our Creator thinks about it and how He views us 
and that he's with you. What if, what if God's answer to Moses' question is actually God's answer to our question? Like, who am I? Who, who am I? God's like, I'm with you. And so Moses and God go back and forth. Now fast forward to Exodus chapter 4. They're still talking to the bush. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to walk through it together. Exodus 4, 1 through 5, Moses answered, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? Or they say, well, the Lord, the Lord didn't appear to you. And then God asks him a really odd question. He says this, what's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Now, it's interesting because I think it's important for us to realize what, what went down here. Um, this wasn't a magic stick. This wasn't Gandalf's staff, okay? Like this, this was an ordinary, normal walking stick, a staff. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, where did Moses get this staff? It wasn't from the hills of Mordor. So where was it? He picked it up in the wilderness. And I feel like there's a word of the Lord for us today in that. Like, when we are in the wilderness seasons of our life, we rarely see how God is able to use anything that we're experiencing for his glory. And there are things that we pick up in the wilderness season that seems useless to the Lord at the time. You're thinking, man, like, this is my past. This is the junk. This is the past 20, 30, 40 years. Of, I, what, what good came out of that season? All that, it was just hardship. It was, it was difficult. It was toil. It was running away from, from my sin. It was trying to just get live, and just to live, just to subsist. And, and this reality that you will oftentimes pick up in your wilderness what God will later use to bring freedom to other people. Let me say that one more time. You will oftentimes pick up in your wilderness season of life what God will use later to bring freedom to others. And you don't get it on the mountaintop, you get it in the wilderness experience, in your wandering, in your wondering, in your wilderness of like, what in the world is God doing right now? Many times we pick something up that seems absolutely useless and God says, I'm going to take that thing that you have in your hand and make it more. This? This is just junk. I picked it up on the way. I just thought, I don't even know why I have it. God says, I'm going to take that thing that you have in the natural and I'm going to put my super on it. For what purpose? For my great rescue plan. This? This is just hurt. This is pain. This is past experiences. This is the stuff that I've been avoiding. I don't even know why I picked it. I don't even remember where I picked this thing up. I've just been carrying it for all this time. And God says, you're carrying it for a purpose. So I'm going to take that thing in the natural. I'm going to put my super on it. And people are going to be absolutely, in fact, you, will be absolutely astounded at what I can do through it. 
And God says, I'm going I'm to take this. Verse 3, the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. Now, let me pause there for a second. What's cool is that it wasn't until Moses took what he had in his hand and released it that God made it supernatural. It wasn't, he didn't hold it in his hand. All of a sudden it turns into a snake, right? He says, release it, throw it on the ground and allow me to do what only I can do with it. And all of a sudden this thing becomes supernatural. Um, what comes to us, I think about this when it comes to like the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit in our life, that the, God's power works through us when we choose to release what he's given us. And so you may be like, well, I have the gift of, you know, faith. I've got the gift of healing. I've got the gift of prophecy. I've got the gift of discerning of tongues. I've got, the, I've got all these different gifts, right? The reality is this, and this is so important for any gifting that God has given you, anything that he's wanting to use for his great rescue plan for others, that it needs to be released. That the gift of giving, let's say you have the gift of giving, is just a stick in your hand until you release it. The gift of um, mercy is just a stick in your hand until you choose to reach out and to love someone with it. Um, the gift of prophecy is just a stick in your hand until you open your mouth and speak. The gift of encouragement is just a stick in your hand until you reach out and, 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 and touch someone with it. Like the gift of healing is just a stick in your hand until you go walk across the room and have an awkward question of can I pray for you and lay your hands and see God do something that you could never do on your own. There is always a co-laboring with God when it comes to living on mission. You need his anointing. He needs your obedience. And that's why he says like, Look, you just throw this thing down, release it, that thing that I've given you, that thing that is in your hand, and watch what I can do with it. It is only in your cooperation with the leading of the Holy Spirit that you, God can take a stick in your hand and make it supernatural. And so he literally says, he's like, throw it on the ground. And then in verse 4, in verse 3, excuse me, it says, it became a snake and he ran from it. I love this because I, I don't like snakes either. Like, I love that he didn't just like recoil. He didn't just jump back. It says he literally ran from it. So I'm imagining this, this 80-year-old man, hardened sheep herder in the wilderness of Midian, turns into a snake and he screams like a little girl, like, ah, and starts running, literally running, not just jogging. Like he runs in the opposite direction of the snake, formerly his staff. Have you ever run away from the call of God? Have you ever run away from, from a gifting? That which God is, is doing in and through you. Because sometimes God can lead you into a place that is scary. Where you're like, he's like, release this, do it. And then you do and you are absolutely scared. Because, because it's too big, you can't handle it. It's not what you expected. Many times God will put a dream in your heart that you want to run away from because it's too big and you don't know how it's going to happen. And you're like, what in the world am I? I can't do that. And he's like, I know. I know. In fact, you're a wreck. <laughs> That's why he chose you. Because when I do my thing, nobody's going to think it was you. They're going to be like, I know that's, that's got to be God because I know him. I know her, and I know this had to be a move of God on this person's life because you're not that smart, you're not that good, you're not that, yeah, no, 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 no. 
When I look at what God, I, I believe, is in the heart of God to do in our city and in southern Maine, when I talk about like praying like in Biddeford as it is in heaven, I know that it is way too big for me, and it's much easier for me to run away from it or avoid it rather than walk towards it. That many times God will give you a vision that is way too big for you. But it's important for us to remember that God is only and always looking for us to be co-laborers in his mission. Which means <laughs> he's not actually calling you to do it on your own. Which is really great news for you if you're feeling way overwhelmed with the calling of God or what he's putting in your life. In fact, if you, like God's calling you to do something and you're trying to walk in obedience to it and you're trying to do it completely on your own, get ready to fantastically fail at it. Because you were actually never meant to do it. You were actually to be, Lord, I need, I, I am constant need of your anointing, constant need of, of, of your Holy Spirit as I move forward in this. I cannot do it on my own. I remember the first time that I heard the voice of God in my life. I was in ninth grade. Man, I just, just got saved. And I had no idea how to pray because prayer to me growing up in the denomination that I grew up in was, it was kind of a punishment. And so, um, and it was always written and you'd recite prayers. And so I didn't know how to pray. I literally, I get saved. I'm like, okay, so I'm supposed to like this. I'm supposed to pray. And so I pray. I was like, Lord, it's very simple. I would say, use me. God, just use me. I remember like going to bed, I was like praying at night, just, Lord, just use me, use me, use me. And there was this one night where I'm like, I'm praying that, all of a sudden I hear this audible voice, the only time I've ever heard the audible voice of God. And he says to me, use me. And I was like, that's what I said. <laughs> you stole my line. Here, here's what was imparted into me, is that God is always wanting to use you. That's part of his plan. It's part of why he delivered you, restored you, saved you, filled you with his Holy Spirit. He is wanting to use you. The question is, are you willing to use him, to co-labor with him, to walk in obedience to that thing that he's calling you to do? Or are you trying to do it alone? Church, make sure that you are not working harder in your own strength than you are willing and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you. Let me say that one more time. Make sure that you are not working harder in your own strength than you are in allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you. That is what he's always calling you to. And so we, we quote scriptures. We're like, oh yeah, I love that scripture. Like nothing is impossible with God. But my concern is, is that are we trying to do nothing with him? Like, are we just trying to do this whole thing on our own? I got this. Thank you so much for saving me, healing me. That's awesome. But I got it from here. I'm going to try to just white knuckle my way through this Christian walk. Try not to do stupid. Try to do good. Try to help people cross the road. Try, I'm just going to keep doing this from here on out. Like, are we trying to do nothing with him? And then in verse 4, the Lord says to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Like this, <laughs> I watch Animal Planet, and I know that that is not the recommended way to pick up a snake. In case you're wondering, this would be a little survival skill for you. If the correct way to pick up a snake is to always shoot it first, 
just, you got that. Thank you, sir. Um, and you're like, that's horrible. I am a snake person. I would shoot your snake too, right? Like I just, I just keep it away from me, okay? Just keep it away. It's the only acceptable way, uh, and, and that you can take that to the bank. That's the only acceptable way to, uh, to, 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 to do this. Um, but isn't it true that sometimes God tells you to do things that, um, that don't necessarily make sense to you? Like the truth about following God is that it requires you to trust his word. And so when he tells you to do the thing that you think, I'm kind of thinking you didn't think this thing through. Like not only did you pick the wrong guy, but you kind of, that's not how you do it. And he's like, are you going to trust my word and walk in obedience and realize that I'm not actually, I mean, God's like, I just made your stick into a snake. You can't trust me to pick that thing up? Like at what point do you just kind of be like, yeah, I'm out, right? God's like, I want you to pick it up by the tail. Um, and it says this in verse 4. So Moses reached out and he took hold of the snake <laughs> and it turns back into a stick in his hand. I mean, I, I don't know how it happened. That's crazy to me, right? Like he picks it up and suddenly everything goes back to normal. The snake turns back into a stick. Um, and personally, I think that that is the greatest part of the miracle. Honestly, like I, I absolutely love that part. Why? Because let me remind you of something. Moses doesn't go through the rest of his life with a pet snake on his shoulders. He's not like, hey guys, just like, you know, this used to be my, my staff, but God made it into a magic snake. Right? He doesn't even like walk around being like, hey, did you check out this snake? It used to be a stick. Right? Like, I'm pretty amazing. Pretty awesome, huh? I mean, have you checked out how superhuman I am? Like, who, who has a, a pet snake that used to be a stick? No, no one, just me. Just me, wrote the book on it. Like, he didn't get to go through life like that. The stick goes from being supernatural back to becoming a normal, everyday stick. And I love this because I think the Apostle Paul realized this when he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. I think it has to do with it. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God is not looking for superheroes. If anything, he's looking for super zeros, right? People that got nothing going on. People that know, man, I got, no, I got a bad past. I murdered a guy, buried him in the sand, running away from Pharaoh. I got, I really don't got, I got a stuttering problem. I can't do that. And God's like, perfect. My super is going to look amazing on your natural. Because in the natural, we are looking for superheroes. But God is simply looking for ordinary people who are available to him. Sticks in his hand. Which means that God can use anyone, an ordinary stick, a flawed person, living on mission, available to do extraordinary works, and then go back to loving your spouse, doing the dishes, honoring your boss. God doesn't use superheroes. He uses normal people, flawed people, to put his super on to be a part of his great rescue plan for humanity. In fact, it's only when we begin to believe our own press about ourselves that the wheels come off the bus. 
It's only when the person with the magic stick realizes, like, man, I, I don't know if you realize this, but uh, I'm pretty special. Me, some people call me a superhero. I've got this, you know, gift of prophecy. I've got this gift of tongues. I've got this gift of whatever, thinking that somehow we're, we're not just a regular stick staff. We're, we're super. We're different. Um, we get off mission when we forget that we're co-laborers, that we are simply carriers of the presence of God, that we, that we host the Holy Spirit. Like, I, I believe that that God is always looking for people who can be humble in his hand, people who know that the answer to who am I is this, I am with you. Right, right. And so there's a story in Acts chapter 3 I want to leave you with today. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. This is about Peter and John. They heal this guy at the gate called Beautiful. It says, one day... Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. It's a cool story. I mean, amazing, right? Like, Can I just say that I love that this miracle happens on the way to church? They didn't even have time to get their worship on, right? They didn't even have time to hear a, a decent message. They, they were probably late to church because of this dude. I long for the day, church, where you are all late to church. You're like, well, I'm, you don't have to long to. I, I was late today, right? <laughs> no, no. I, I long for you to be late to church because a revival broke out in Walmart parking lot. You just had to stay, Right? I long for the day when healing breaks out in the cereal aisle of Market Basket. And you're like, man, Pastor Just, I'm so sorry. I know I'm supposed to be a door greeter today, but you have no idea. I prayed for this paraplegic today. He got healed. No kidding. And he's, here he is. He's coming into church with me. Like, if you're going to be late to church, have a great reason like that. Have a great reason like that. Nobody's going to be like, well, you are 15 minutes late. Excuse me. Right? Like, nobody's doing that. I love that this happens on their way to church. The Spirit of God, church, dwells within you, which means that the church is portable. It's portable. And so when I pray things like, I pray that in Biddeford as it is in heaven, that thy kingdom would come. I believe that it is in the heart of God that the presence of God would be brought into our city. And when God's presence is brought into a place, then his freedom arrives. When his presence comes, healing comes. But his presence comes through you. So now, go. Me? thought you had the plan. Yeah, you're my plan. Me? Yep. I'm going to take the thing that's in your hand, the the natural, flawed part of you, 
man, you're a mess and it's perfect. Just watch what I'm able to do with it. Paul encapsulates this in such a beautiful way. In Colossians 1.27, one of my favorite verses, he says, To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? Here it is. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. His presence comes through you. Now, go. Church, that is his rescue plan. I thought I was supposed to pray about it. He's like, hmm, no. That's why I saved you, healed you. That's why I filled you with your Holy Spirit so that you can now go and bring freedom and bring healing to a generation that desperately needs it. You bring his presence everywhere you go. Church is portable. And I think that sometimes we can, we can be waiting for not... not Christ in us, the hope of glory. Sometimes we're waiting for like the perfect worship set, the hope of glory. Man, I'm waiting for Christ in a sermon, the hope of glory. I'm waiting for Christ in a never-ending church service, the hope of glory. And this, he's like, no, 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 don't, don't miss this. As long as you're waiting for a musician or a speaker or a service to, to be the tipping point in your life, you will fail to realize that the miracle of Christ in you, the hope of glory, a normal stick in the hands of God, a flawed person, a person who is empowered and filled and gifted and used by God. Church, what if we continued with the same understanding that Peter and John had? What was that? What, this is what they realized. They realized that the greatest thing that we have to offer humanity is the anointing of God. They're like, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. What is the Holy Spirit doing? How are you called to co-labor with the impossible? Why don't you stand with me? I think that the fact that Peter and John actually saw this dude on the side of the gate of beautiful and noticed him is um, probably proof that the Holy Spirit was leading them because they probably walked by this guy hundreds of times on their way to church. But today the Holy Spirit highlighted him to them. Because do you know that that's what the Holy Spirit will do to you? Like all of a sudden you'll be high, someone will get highlighted, that a friend that like is calling you to pray for, somebody that a stranger will come to mind, a person that you're walking by that he's just calling you to pray for. Like the Holy Spirit will highlight something like that to you. And he says this, verse 3, when he, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Here's what we know, is that the prerequisite for a miracle is always a need. It's always a need. I need, I need money, I need health, I need food, whatever those things are. But oftentimes, the need that we think we need is not the need that God wants to meet. And this is what happens here. I thank God that, that God has not always given me everything that I think that I need. He always gives me what he knows that I need. Amen? It says, Peter looks straight at him, as did John, and Peter says to him, look at us. And there's an exclamation point. So I don't know why he seemingly yells at this guy. Maybe he's like, look at us. You think we got any money? I don't have a stick in my hand, right? I have no idea what he's doing, right? Something's going on here. He's like, look at me. Look at my eyes. <laughs> 
It says, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter says this to him. And this, I wish that we could just rest in this, realizing that, like, man, this is our role in the rescue plan. He goes, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. I love that Peter is like, I got no money. I got nothing that you're asking for, but I do have the thing that you didn't even know you were looking for. I do have that. I have the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of me, and I know that he wants to do something in you. Why? How do I know that? That's what he does. That's his great rescue plan. So I'm going to take a risk, but it's a calculated risk. It's a risk of choosing to possibly embarrass myself to pray and expect God to move in our midst. In just a moment, I want to, I just want to invite you guys up. If, if you've got a prayer need in any area of your life, and maybe it's financial, maybe you've got like a, a health thing going on, maybe you've been just been toiling with it for months, maybe just a couple days. I don't know what that is for you. I just want to encourage you to just come forward. You can even come, come forward right now. Come right up here with me. I want to give you an opportunity. Let's allow God the opportunity to do the impossible just by us honoring and saying, I'll, I'll do in the natural. I'll walk in obedience to that thing that you're calling me to. I, I don't necessarily know how God's going to do it. I have, I have, no, I have no clue how, how this, this is going to happen, but I choose to, to take this stick in my hand and release it in obedience, expecting that, that God can do what only he can do. It's not through me, but it is through you. The body of Christ, filled, empowered, and completely flawed. Believing God for something great. Coming alongside being co-laborers in his great rescue plan for humanity. So as we sing here today, just keep coming up here. Whatever that need is, I just want to encourage you. We're going to have some prayer team members that are going to come up here along the front and and just come and pray for you. Here's what I want to encourage you. If you need prayer in any area of your life, just tell them specifically what you need prayer for. They don't need to know the details. They don't need to know the history. They don't need to know the story. They just need to know what is this point of contact that you need prayer for and allow us to just be able to pray God into your situation. Pray God and healing over that area of your, of your body, over your life, over your marriage, whatever that is. Maybe you came to intercede for somebody else come on down. If you came to intercede for, for a friend, a loved one, come on down. Let's, let's join our faith together and see God do what only he can do when we just choose to walk in obedience and trust to him. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So if I could have the prayer team, come on down. If you're in, even on the prayer team, come right up here and uh, you're on our board, come right down here and, and let's pray for some people. And um, as, we, as we sing, let's believe that today's prayer requests are tomorrow's praise reports. Amen? Amen. God bless you.